1: Welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. The controversy around vaccines has so far understandably focused on whether or not they work to prevent Covid and whether it is reasonable or fair enough for governments to mandate them. Well, there's another question, which is what effects might they have on other conditions that we face in our day-to-day lives? To understand that, we need to look at all-cause mortality. And a distinguished professor from Denmark called Christine Stebel Ben has been leading that effort for a number of years and has just released a study looking at the COVID vaccines. She is Professor of Public Health at the University of Southern Denmark and she joins us now. Hi, Professor. Hi. So talk us through what the purpose of your study was.
0: So we've seen in uh, our population studies in Africa and also subsequently confirmed in Denmark uh, that vaccines, in addition to their well-known protective effects against the vaccine disease and their rare um, severe side effects that that all types of medications and also vaccines may carry, that in addition to these two types of effects, vaccines also have what we have called non-specific effects. They affect The immune system more broadly and the way the immune system subsequently handles other infections, also those unrelated to the vaccine itself uh, or the vaccine disease itself. Uh, So we've seen it all started years before I entered research with my uh, mentor Peter Arby, observing that during a measles vaccination campaign in Africa, mortality declined subsequently much, much more than could be explained just by prevention of measles infection. So measles at that time, this was back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, measles at that time accounted for perhaps 10% of all deaths in the community. But nonetheless, when measles vaccine was introduced, mortality declined over the subsequent year by by more than 50%, actually by 70%, so much, much more than could be uh, ascribed to prevention of of measles infection. And that was, of course, such a surprising uh, observation that it needed confirmation elsewhere. And, And literally all the studies that were subsequently providing data to make this type of analysis all showed that the introduction of measles vaccine reduced overall mortality much more than ascribed to measles infection. It
1: kind of changes the overall immune system and it has effects when other diseases come along.
0: Exactly. So in these communities, uh, infectious diseases were the main cause of death. So so the uh, uh, interpretation of this was that measles uh, vaccination really altered the state of the immune system so that it could better handle other pathogenic threats, other bacteria and viruses, which uh, would otherwise have killed the, the child subsequently. Uh, so this really led to the, these effects we coined non-specific effects. Uh, it, they were unrelated to the vaccine effect against measles. Uh, they, they And in that sense, non-specific. And, and that observation led to a whole new research agenda where we started systematically, and, and that's also where I entered the picture. We started systematically to test all the routine childhood for their effect on overall mortality, to tease out uh, and, and really scrutinise whether the effect on overall mortality was as as everybody would anticipate based on the, that, that current understanding of vaccines, that that the effect on overall mortality corresponded to the effect uh, against the vaccine disease, or if there was something missing in the equation, if there were these non-specific effects.
1: Those non-specific effects could be positive or negative, I suppose they might help with other diseases, or they might be, they might increase mortality, when other diseases are faced. Is that right? So there's a sort of balancing act. Exactly.
0: Going on. So now we have investigated 10 vaccines, uh, 10 routine childhood vaccines. And, and really, what I want to emphasize, which is a surprise to most people is that none of the routine childhood vaccines were introduced following studies that had shown that they actually impacted on all-cause mortality. So the system for testing vaccines is set up based on our current or the current understanding of vaccines that they only work against the vaccine disease. So it's not set up to monitor if a vaccine could actually affect the risk of dying from, from other infections, other diseases. So none of the routine childhood vaccines were investigated prior to their introduction for their effect on overall mortality and nobody bothered to, to investigate it because it seems so logical that, that the effect on the all-cause mortality would be completely proportional to the, um, the deaths that were prevented from preventing against the vaccine disease. So we started doing this uh, post introduction, so to speak, uh, this investigation, this evaluation of the effect of vaccines on all because mortality. And we investigated 10 vaccines and what has emerged is a very clear picture. So we have investigated four live vaccines which are the vaccines that contains the pathogen in a weakened, attenuated form. The picture that emerged is that these live vaccines had beneficial nonspecific effects. So like measles vaccine, a live vaccine, three other live vaccines also were associated with much stronger reductions in all-cause mortality than one could anticipate based on their effect against the vaccine disease. But in contrast, as you alluded to, there were also some vaccines which actually turned out to have negative effects. And this was in spite of protecting against the vaccine disease. Uh, We actually saw that and can show repeatedly for, for some of these vaccines that children who receive them, and particularly for reasons we don't really understand yet, girls who receive these vaccines, even though they're protected against sometimes deadly diseases, their all because mortality is higher than girls who haven't been vaccinated yet with that vaccine, with these non-life vaccines, and it's also higher than boys who have been vaccinated with the non-life vaccines. Whereas we see the opposite pattern with live vaccines, that, that girls have lower mortality, vaccinated girls have lower mortality than vaccinated boys. So there's something going on here. These non-life vaccines, protect against severe diseases, but they come at a high price, which is that they may they seem to increase the susceptibility to other infections, and and again, particularly in the girls.
1: So to explain for us what a non live vaccine is. So a live vaccine is when you introduce a kind of synthetic version of a pathogen. No,
0: actually, it's not a synthetic, it's just a, 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 a very mild version of the pathogen right. so for a measles vaccine it's a actually a measles virus that you uh, inject but it's it's been weakened so it cannot create a real measles infection unless you are severely immunocompromised so so in, in worst cases a, a normal child receiving a measles vaccine will get a light fever a light rash a very many mini, mini measles infections but but, but most just never, Really feel that their body has actually been infected with a very mild virus. The non-live, in contrast, there you take the pathogen and you kill it, um, or, or you take just a little tiny part of the pathogen, or you take one of its products and you inject it. And and the easy way to remember what is a live and a non-live vaccine is that the live vaccines usually create very good immunity already after one dose, but the non vaccines are those where you need to go back to the doctor to get your first and your second and your third shot, because the non-live vaccines are not very good at stimulating a a good, strong immune response. And that actually makes sense, because the immune system is not, why should it bother with something that's killed, which isn't a threat, which doesn't pose any kind of of danger for the immune system? So, So you need to tease the immune system a little bit to make it react to non-live vaccines so you you have to give repeated doses and often you also have to add an adjuvant something that a helper substance which will alert the immune system to this otherwise not dangerous uh, uh, injection and and make it mount a proper immune response uh, so so the live and non-live vaccines are both good after a number of doses of the non-live, but, but they will create good specific immunity against the vaccine
1: disease. Putting this in the context of COVID, in the in the context of the past couple of years, obviously, most people in the world, I don't know if that's true, but a, lo- a large number of people in the world has now been vaccinated against COVID. And there's been these two types of vaccines, haven't they? There's been the so called mRNA vaccines, and then more conventional vaccines. Is that the same as live and non-live?
0: No, so so we were so curious to find out when we heard about these two new vaccine types. Uh, we were so curious to find out whether they would behave as live or non-live vaccines because we really didn't have a clue. They're both uh, both the mRNA vaccines and the adenovirus vector vaccines our new vaccine types and, and we haven't got any experience with their potential nonspecific effects. So we had not got an idea whether there were nonspecific effects, whether they were beneficial or potentially harmful. What we knew and pointed out right from the beginning was that it is a flaw in our system for testing vaccines, that we don't assess. The effect of vaccines on all cause um, mortality, all cause morbidity. So we we don't actually get a chance to assess whether they have non specific effects. And and it is beyond doubt now that vaccines have non specific effects. So it is really a, a major flaw in the system for testing vaccines. And and what I was really worried about was the fact that the whole evaluation of the vaccines focused on the COVID-specific effects did the vaccine protect against, protect against COVID, um, but and, and also that that the the, the clinical trials were abrogated all after two to four months when the vaccines got emergency approval and uh, the the companies uh, the the uh, sponsors offered vaccine to the control groups. Uh, So that means that we only had a very short-term follow-up to actually assess the the full effect of the vaccines, both against COVID and and that turned out that we got some quite optimistic assessments of the protective effect against COVID uh, in the clinical trials because in the longer run, immunity started to wane and and became less clear. But for the nonspecific effects, this was a particular problem because nonspecific effects do continue to occur months after you have received your vaccine. And and we really didn't have a chance because the randomized clinical trials, the phase three trials were applicated uh, with, with the vaccination of the control groups, we didn't have a chance to assess long term effects on, on overall health.
1: So let's get into your most recent study then. So we have, um, you, you took the cohorts or the existing clinical trials that these companies had done, the basis on which they were authorized, I suppose, uh, which involves large numbers of people, and you're comparing all cause mortality between the, I guess, placebo group and the group that had the vaccine is is that the sum of it?
0: Yes, so quite simply, we just took the reports where they had followed people as long time as possible before they started vaccinating controls, so while the randomization was still intact, we had comparable groups, uh, there were comparable groups of vaccinated and unvaccinated, and we took the reports and the number of deaths that they reported, so this is a, a a thing that is re- requested by those who conduct these phase three trials, that they report serious um, uh, adverse events and including them also uh, the death that occurred. There isn't a lot of emphasis on this, so the, it varies quite a lot between uh, studies, how they reported the death and with the which detail, and actually most of them, very little detail on the causes of death. There was no information on the age or the sex of the disease. so so we don't we don't have a lot of information. But we captured the ab- absolute numbers of deaths that they had reported uh, divided by the number of participants, so giving us a proportion of deaths in in the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated uh, within each of these clinical trials. And we were also for some papers or some trials, they had reported it in the papers. For others, we wrote to the authors and asked for information about causes of death. So we could very crudely divide the death into COVID deaths, which I think were pretty well assessed in all the clinical trials because it was, after all, the focus. But but, so we we had the COVID deaths, we had the accident deaths, which are also a pretty well defined uh, group, but not not very clearly defined because it, it might still be that you were in a car accident, but it was actually because you had a heart attack. So it can be difficult to, to disentangle whether it was a, a a, a, a true accident, or there was some underlying disease. And but 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 nonetheless, we took it for granted what the papers wrote. If this was an accident, then we, we uh, categorized it as an accident. And then there were uh, quite a lot of, of cardiovascular deaths, so they, those we could also tease out as a separate category. So we looked at these: uh, the all-cause mortality, we looked at COVID-specific mortality, and we looked at. Um, cardiovascular death, And we also looked at none what we called non COVID non accident mortality,
1: which basically should cover crudely, everything else. from
0: yeah. natural natural deaths from natural causes apart from COVID.
1: And you're comparing specifically the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are these mRNA vaccines to all other brands which tend to be adenovirus. Is that roughly the the groups?
0: No, we took the two groups actually of mRNA vaccines on one side and the adeno vaccines on the other side. Right. Uh, these were the two types of vaccines. So which
1: brands are adenovirus.
0: So we looked at the AstraZeneca, we looked at the um, Janssen, um, Janssen vaccine, and we look at the Sputnik, uh, Russian Sputnik vaccine.
1: So let's get into the numbers and the results of what you found in your study. Uh, we've actually got them on a slide that I think we can put on a screen here. And um, so talk us through them.
0: We have the two rows. Yeah. So with uh, the, the top row is the adenovirus vector vaccines. And this uh, second row is on the mRNA vaccines. Um, we have uh, in the two first columns the death in the group of vaccinated, uh, divided by the number of vaccinated and in the second column, the death uh, in the control group. And um, and then we have calculated uh, a com- Find relative risk of dying among the vaccinated, divided with the risk of dying uh, among the controls for all the trials of the adenovirus vector vaccines and the mRNA vaccines respectively. And that relative risk is 0.37 um, for the adenovirus vector vaccines and 1.03 for the mRNA vaccines. And then there is a confidence interval uh, which uh, which uh, is a manner of indicating the degree of certainty that this relative risk is estimated with. Um, And lastly, in the last column, I can see you have uh, put the relative risk of dying from cardiovascular diseases. Uh, This is uh, basically yes a summary of what we are presenting in this uh, at least
1: some of what we are presenting
0: in this preprint.
1: So what does relative risk mean? How do we understand that number?
0: That is the risk of dying um, in the vaccinated divided by the risk of dying in the
1: unvaccinated. So if it's less than one, you're less likely to die. And if it's more than one, you're more likely to die. Exactly. So the headline number here looks very good for the adenovirus group. It looks I mean, if I was choosing which vaccine to, to buy, I it looks very good. The uh, headline number for the mRNA group doesn't look so good because it's above one. What does that actually mean? So it
0: looks like there are two, yeah, as you say, strikingly different effects of these two vaccines on mortality. This comes with uh, a big caveat and 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 that is that there is no direct comparison of mRNA vaccines and adenovirus vector vaccines and uh, they are not possible. These kind of trials were not performed. But we actually do argue that they should be performed in the future, but they weren't performed. So what we are comparing here is the effect of adenovirus vector vaccines against. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. But the two types of vaccines were tested in different populations, so we cannot, I mean, there are a lot of assumptions underlying um, the the testing of the differences. So what we do point out is that the the effects are strikingly and statistically significantly different and that makes us quite curious, it does uh, suggest that at least one of the vaccines may have nonspecific effects on other causes of death, since both vaccine types actually were associated with with trends for reduction in COVID mortality as anticipated.
1: Let's just dive into that if we could, because because that's the key point, isn't it that the overall mortality for the Pfizer Moderna group was roughly not significant. I mean, 1.03, it looks like there were 31 deaths out of 37,000 and 30 deaths out of 37,000. So it looks like overall, the Pfizer Materna group didn't either make you more likely to die or less likely to die. It didn't make much difference. But overall, the AstraZeneca Johnson and Johnson group actually made you quite dramatically less likely to die. But then what you're saying is both of them have a proven effect against COVID. So that hidden within that overall number, there must be other effects on other possible reasons of dying. Yes. So in the case of the Pfizer Moderna group, the fact that we end up with roughly back to one, so overall, people are dying about as as much as you'd expect, but the effect on COVID is positive. Does that suggest, I mean, almost prove if the statistics were, were proven that there must be negative effects on other mortality causes that are compensating for it
0: numbers are so small so we cannot prove anything uh, at all uh, with with these numbers but uh, you're right that if we subtract the covid deaths from the 31 and 30 respectively. Well, then we end up with uh, a difference which is in favor of the unvaccinated, the placebo recipients. Uh, so, so, and and what we see is that there is an overweight of cardiovascular death in the Pfizer group. None of this is statistically significant. That's really important to, to uh, say uh, that, that there were 16 cardiovascular or 16 deaths that were ascribed to cardiovascular causes in the uh, Pfizer and Moderna group versus 11 in the placebo group. This is, is far away from being statistically significant, uh, but, but it um, it's a potential... Danger signal in my point of view, which uh, really warrants further scrutinization.
1: So with the due caveats then for this, which is not yet peer reviewed and has small numbers, and no doubt you wish there were larger samples that you can make more confident uh, presumption of, and, your, and your critique of the original studies is is well presented, I think. But having said all that, the differences still look striking, I'm not sure what the the right term for it is. But If the relative risk was, I don't know, 0.9 versus 1.03, maybe we would be able to dismiss it but 0.37 versus 1.03. And in the case of cardiovascular, 0.065 versus 1.45. You say it's not statistically significant, and yet it looks quite dramatic. How are we supposed to interpret that?
0: Yes, so there are statistically significant benefit of the adenovirus vaccine versus placebo for all-cause mortality and and other causes of mortality. And they are statistically significantly different from the effect of the mRNA vaccines. But within the mRNA vaccines, I cannot say that the effect against COVID was statistically significantly different from the effect uh, against cardiovascular disease. Uh, For that, the numbers are too small. But for the overall differences in effect between the two, groups of vaccines, there are statistical differences and and just as the, the effect of the adenovirus vector vaccines on, on the various causes of death is also statistically significant.
1: And of course, it's not coming in a complete vacuum, there has been these concerns about myocarditis and other, you know, heart related potential side effects from some of these vaccines. And no doubt that is the context this will be interpreted in. Do you think this is evidence enough that we should take those concerns more seriously than we have been?
0: Yes, I would say so. Yes, I think there are danger signals in relation to cardiovascular deaths and and diseases. We know that uh, now with certainty for the mRNA vaccines and uh, with with respect to myocarditis and pericarditis. uh, But also anecdotally, I would say there there are reports of, of cardiovascular death, which I think deserves further scrutinization. And also, I mean, this is just a piece in the puzzle, but it adds to the evidence that suggests that this is something which should be investigated further uh, for the mRNA vaccines. Uh, so what we are proposing is that we do back-to-back comparisons in, in populations where that would be possible. Uh, I, I would really love to see uh, randomized comparisons of the mRNA vaccines versus the adenovirus vector vaccines in terms of, of overall and, and cardiovascular health effects.
1: There are very great powers that be. Uh, First of all, the commercial powers that be, I mean, both Moderna and Pfizer have just in the last week, uh, reported record profits. Uh, These are vast companies that have had absolute boomer years for the past few couple of years, for obvious reasons. They don't want to hear, no doubt, your, your hesitations and your concerns. And it feels like there's also political forces that because the vaccines have become this kind of culture war issue, particularly in America, any scientist such as yourself that raises any hesitation about anything to do with vaccines, is liable to be kind of either silenced or attacked in some way. Do you feel that? Do you feel nervous about putting this study out there?
0: I certainly do, but I've been in this game for for now, almost 30 years, uh, studying vaccines and finding these non-specific effects, which have been very controversial. Uh, and, and really, like you say, there the are large or uh, strong powers out there who don't really want to hear about them because basically to me, they're good news. It means that we could optimize the use of vaccines to not only be, the strong protective effects against vaccine diseases as we know them, but we can also optimize the use in terms of overall health. And we can do that by just intelligently designing vaccine programs which takes non-specific effects into account by making sure that children have live vaccines uh, um, to a large extent and, and also making sure that the live vaccines are the most recent vaccine, because non-specific effects Differently from the specific effects, they are most prominent as long as the vaccine is the most recent vaccine, so you can actually give the non-live vaccines to a girl and then shortly after give a live vaccine and and, and then completely benefit both from the specific protective effect against the vaccine disease, but also abrogate or, or mitigate any potential negative non-specific effects. So, so there are really ways where, yeah, a professor from Australia recently calculated that if we just... Use what we know about these effects right now to design vaccination programs which take into account non-specific effects. We could probably save an average of one million child lives every year. So, so these are strong effects. They could make us, if we took them into account, we could have much more intelligent vaccination programs. Uh, so, so. So there are low hanging fruits out there by acknowledging non-specific effects uh, and, and taking them into account. But it is also a bit of a Pandora's box, I think for health authorities, because if they start acknowledging these effects, there are also the the huge problem of potential negative non-specific effects that have actually been brought to the attention of the WHO already 20 years ago, but, but they haven't really responded the observations, so you can see the potential backlash for WHO for vaccination programs if if it actually comes out that some vaccines have carried these negative non-specific effects. So I've been in this uh, business for many years, and I know that there are. P- powers out there who aren't interested in really digging into these findings Uh, and 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 again it also has implications for the way we test vaccines so you can also see the it is complicated stuff also for companies or regulators if we need to design vaccine um, trials phase three trials which do not only study the specific disease, but also study all because uh, mortality and morbidity. But in my point of view, uh, this is this should be good news, but but it's handled as if it's bad news. Uh, likewise, with the COVID vaccines, it should be good news that we I mean, we can use the vaccines more intelligently if we know there are non specific effects. But but there is not a lot of interest and uh, there. Uh, there is a major pushback to be
1: honest. I understand what you mean, Professor, but To the billion or so people who have taken Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, it's not going to sound like good news that the first big study into all-cause mortality is inconclusive as to whether it has a positive or negative effect.
0: I really want to to just carefully frame how we are talking about it because, of course, these studies were undertaken at a time where where there was also protective measures in place against COVID. There weren't that many COVID cases, uh, so so you know the, this ratio of potential benefits versus potential harms in various categories of disease look differently. You know, have there been a blooming COVID uh, Delta pandemic where there had been massive exposure to Delta, then the the relative effect of the vaccine against COVID death would have counted more on the overall mortality than, than the contribution from potential cardiovascular diseases so, or, or death. So I, there's no way I can say this would be the net effect in any context of the vaccines. It also depends very much on age group we you know. So, I mean, I would clearly recommend somebody who is 75 to take an mRNA vaccine and, and live with that uh, potential unknowns in terms of of, uh, side effects on other diseases. But again, that that picture would look completely different. If you're 30, and you're completely healthy, Uh, then obviously your risk of dying of COVID would be so low that you wouldn't, it wouldn't be acceptable with any increased risk of dying from any
1: any other disease, which is, which should we conclude then that your recommendation were you the policy chief would be to only vaccinate older people with these mRNA vaccines? At What age would you say it's no longer risk reward worth it to take a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine?
0: (laughs) That's a tough question. Um, If I were to decide and I had to decide right here and now based on what we know, and based on the current situation, I wouldn't recommend vaccination
1: of anybody above 50 years of age. Is that just with the Pfizer moderna, or is that any COVID vaccines? That would be just for the Pfizer moderna
0: vaccine as it is currently. I'm, I'm getting curious about what looks like potential beneficial, non-specific effects of the adenovirus vector uh, uh, vaccines.
1: I mean this is the interesting part of your another interesting part of your study, which is that the vaccine that has received most negative blowback was the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's the one that everyone has been cancelling and European countries have got huge stockpiles of it that they haven't been using. Meanwhile, the Pfizer, Moderna have been treated as if they are the kind of, you know, Rolls Royce of vaccines, They're the more expensive ones, they're the ones that governments have been rushing to spend billions of public money on. And these findings suggest the opposite might be true that those are in fact riskier, and that the AstraZeneca one is is overall better for you.
0: Again, with all the limitations that I've mentioned in the interpretation of these comparisons which aren't direct, but yes, that's indeed what the data suggests. That is that, that we maybe uh, dismissed the AstraZeneca vaccine and the other adenovirus vector vaccines on the wrong reasons uh, for very rare uh, but serious side effects in the young population, but but potentially having much stronger uh, beneficial nonspecific effects. And then in that aspect, it's, it's interesting to note that the adenovirus vector is actually is a live virus. So it does have some resemblances to the live uh, childhood vaccines that I spoke about earlier, uh, that can confer this uh, beneficial immune training.
1: This is a question that you don't need to answer, Professor, but have you been vaccinated?
0: I, I usually reply that that question, I think, is private, and I don't want to inform doormen or uh, even very nice interviewers about that.
1: <laughs> if in a theoretical scenario, if you had uh, children who were in their twenties, um, you would presumably not recommend that they took the Pfizer Moderna. Oh, neither, neither of
0: the vaccines. I wouldn't uh, think that was. Uh, I, we- of course, that comes from decades of studying non-specific effects of vaccines and realizing that vaccines uh, that the protective immunity against the vaccine disease can come at a high price. With the unknowns in relation to the new vaccine types, i would I would be on the safe side of things and say that as long as your risk of severe COVID is low, uh, then i wouldn't I wouldn't run the risk of uh, taking a new and uh, a new vaccine which hasn't been tested for its overall health effects and and regrettably we still lack that data. We've tried to do the best we can with the very limited data in this study that we have now submitted, but it's not good enough uh, i'm I'm the first to admit or be aware and acknowledge that there are not stronger numbers there. But, but, but that's really the problem. We all face that the studies originally weren't designed to address this most pertinent question to everybody who wants to take a vaccine, which is, will I be overall healthier from this vaccine?
1: Final question for you, Professor. Have you been on CNN, and BBC, and Sky? and all of the global mainstream networks talking about the results of your important study? No. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you so much, Professor, for sharing your information with us. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much for the invitation. That was Professor Christine stebel from the University of Southern Denmark sharing the details of her latest study into COVID vaccines. Of course, it's a controversial topic. And she was pretty careful there to emphasise that the samples were smaller than she would like to draw firm statistical conclusions. And that, of course, they were taken at a particular point in the pandemic. And had it been at a different point in the pandemic with more virus about, the differences between the control group and the vaccine group might have been very different and so on. So she really caveated her research. But she made clear that she thought there was enough there to investigate further. First of all, there seems to be a statistically distinct difference between the adenovirus vaccines and the mRNA vaccines when it comes to all-cause mortality. That clearly needs to be investigated further, as well as what the impact is on potential cardiovascular causes of death. To me, it seemed very significant that all of the controversy around the AstraZeneca vaccine that has dominated for the past year and a half it was pretty much banned in a number of European countries and around the world, might have been entirely wrong-headed. It might have been that the government's got it the wrong way around, and that part of the reason why the UK has experienced better mortality results than continental Europe since the rollout of the vaccine and since the opening up last summer could be explained by the fact that here in the UK, most people took AstraZeneca, not Pfizer or Moderna. Very interesting and important, and we look forward to more people looking into it. So far, not much sign of that. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard.
0: Selling a little or a lot?